Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. And we are back with another edition of the Forever Mighty Podcast on a, what is it, Wednesday? Wednesday night? Thursday morning, technically, uh, for some of us. (laughs) That's not our fault, man. But uh, we get to talk about a Ducks win. And we went into this game, I think after Monday, I was listening to Pat and Jay do the podcast after the Ducks lost their second straight 4-1 loss to the Kings. And I was like, we're going to have nothing to talk about. And then Zegers gets called back up for this game. Simon Benoit makes his his NHL debut. And this was the most chaotic game I think we've had all season. Just the, just the sheer chaos in some of these goals that we're going to get to in a little bit. But John Gibson coming out thinking he could score himself a power play goal. Sam Carrick crashing the net, taking out Cal Peterson and scoring a goal. Sam Steele scoring a goal with his stick. Cam Fowler walk into defenseman <laughs> and scoring with uh, with just over a minute to go. It's not a bad game. It's an exciting one. Yeah, no, that was fun. That was, uh, you know, it started off a little weird, like where like Anaheim had a little bit more of the puck in the beginning, but it didn't feel like they were doing much with it. And so you're like, oh, whatever. And then, you know, you to end up going into the third 2-2. Um was just it ended up being a lot of fun um we got to see some good goals got dramatic with uh cam scoring with what a minute left i think yeah so, like minute 07 or something 
Yeah. So yeah, it ended up really delivering. I, I was actually really uh, surprised and happy with how that game went. That's a nice game to end the year on. Like I, yeah. you know, what I, mean? like, <laughs> anyway, I know it's not the end, but what I'm saying is like the next six, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, you have that one. You're like, oh yeah, look, that's what it's like to win a hockey game. All right, now let's let's go win a draft lottery. Yeah, yeah, we're all waiting for June second's draft lottery now. That's that's kind of the big the next big step for the rest of this season. The, the last six games with the next two against the Kings, are, they are what they are. But uh, Ducks were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs today with the Blues beating the Minnesota Wild in regulation. So this, well, I mean, we knew it was bound to happen. Like we knew this three or four months ago that this was going to be the case. Now it's just officially official that the Ducks aren't making the playoffs this year. So this this game, you, you know, it, it, like we said, we, we knew it was going to happen, but it was a bit of a like, relief here that, like, it's over. Like, it's officially over. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Like, there's no stress. Now it's just, okay, we can just kind of enjoy watching these last six games. And you go into this one with probably the most exciting line we've seen all year with Trevor Zegers centering Maxim Comtois and Troy Terry. Like, that's something I think a lot of us have been waiting for. And obviously, for Trevor Zegers to get called back up and finally play center, like, as late as it is in the season, I think this is the most excitement you could possibly ask for heading into a game. Yeah, you know, and I think it's interesting. We had talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, I think when he was first sent down and all that kind of stuff. But he, it's it's kind of fun you know that he came up to his first nhl game in you know what will hopefully be the position he plays in anaheim for the next 15 years or whatever um as a center but then the other thing is it was an away game but there were allowed to be fans in the building and it was byfield's first game so i just think that's such a cool kind of confluence of events like you were saying like going into the game the lineup's exciting um you definitely get the kind of like release of tension like you talked about from knowing that mathematically they're eliminated so you don't have to worry about that anymore um and then it just happens to be this game where you know what i think everybody in california to some degree hopes will be two of the 15 to 20 best players of hockey for the next 15 years um, you know, it, it, it's really exciting. And so I do think, you know, then to win this game and to have Cam make a great move like that at the end. And, um, you know, when, uh, when the three, two game like that at the end of the year, with, like you said, six to go in which we could lose all of them going out, uh, equally. So I, I just think it was a nice little high note to hit as the year wraps up. Yeah. You get a, a nice mix of, what the future of this rivalry is going to look like with Byfield and Zegris and Drysdale and Adrian Kempe and Gabe Villardi. And then obviously with Getzlaff and Kopitar and Doughty and Cam Fowler still being a part of these teams, it's kind of a nice mix of the old guard and then the new guys coming in. I mean, you look at the Kings goals in this game, they get one from Gabe Villardi. It was his first in like 24 games, a guy that they drafted 11th overall, a guy that they still have high hopes for. And then obviously their second overall pick in Quinton Byfield making his debut, Trevor Zegers' return, Jamie Drysdale continues to look uh, like he's 25 already playing <laughs> playing just as a 19-year-old in this league. And you look at all the other young guys in the, in the Ducks lineup tonight, it, you get like a little bit of a, a taste of what this is going to be 
you know, four or five years down the road when, mm-hmm. you know, Trevor Zegers is playing at his best and Jamie Drysdale is playing at his best. And obviously the Kings have a lot more guys on the way, guys like Alex Turcotte <laughs> and Arthur Kaliev and, and a bunch of other guys they have in this system. But, you know, the Ducks still have, have a few guys that, uh, you know, like Perot and, and Grew and, and Tracy that will eventually make their way to the NHL that uh, will be a part of this. But we got to quickly hit the, the lineups for this game. As I mentioned, Zegers with Comtois Terry. That was my favorite line by far of all year. They were the best line, I think, on the ice for the Ducks tonight. Uh, Trevor Zegers led the way, I think, with like a 71.5% expected goals for percentage. I know they were getting kind of heavily favored in, in the offensive zone, but that's what you want, right, from from those guys. And it, it's one game, but it bodes well for the future. And it, it's so funny. You look at that line, and then you go to the what the Ducks listed as their second line, which was Delorier, Grant, and Ryan Getzlaff playing on the right wing of this de facto second line. And then you've got Jones, Steele, and Sam Carrick playing on the right wing of, uh, of a fourth line. And then uh, Lindstrom back now with uh, with Volkov and Raquel. Kind of just a mixed bag of, of random roster assignments. Like, I like Lindstrom, Volkov, and Raquel. I like Terry, Zegris, and Comtois. The other two was just kind of a mishmash of who was left. Yeah, I think, you know, they were they were kind of weird. I, I was thinking about the, the Getzloff on the wing thing, and I think I saw something online that there might be uh, some stuff that recently come out about this as far as like why they decided to do it. But I was wondering if part of it is maybe having him on the wing makes it easier to move him around in the lineup. If you need him, Um, you know, you can just kind of play him wherever and, you know, you know, he's going to kind of just play his game. Mostly, you know, he's not really going to be doing a lot different. Like I think tonight I saw him like noticeably in on the four check more than we've seen him in a long time. Um, but I don't think his game is going to be all that different. Uh, so I was wondering about that. But I think, like you said, the rest of it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag. And it's hard to know what it's going to look like going forward and stuff like that. But that first line is something I know we had talked about as wanting to see. And it makes a ton of sense. And if that becomes a viable first line, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of some of these other guys, you know. And now... You've got guys like Jones and um, Lundestrom and Steele who maybe can exceed expectations and step into a high-end middle six role or something like that. And then you've got some of these guys like Perot and Colangelo, which if they become legitimate goal scorers and you're using them to bolster second or third lines, I think that's huge. Um so I think that that first line is something I would like to see kind of hold up for the rest of the year, because I think on paper, it just makes too much sense. Yeah. I, I mean, they probably should have had a goal in this game. Zegers was working the power play. Like we've seen from him all year, probably should have had a point in this one. You feel like if they stay together, it's bound to come. And this is the first game that we saw, I guess the future of the ducks franchise at center, all three of them playing in the lineup at center with Zegers, Lindstrom, and Steele all playing down the middle. Obviously, Derek Grant was <laughs> still part of that because you still got to throw him down the middle of the ice. But yeah, it's the it's the first look we get at what is potentially you know the one two three punch down the middle for the Ducks. Obviously, you know if if they go out and draft a center like Matty Beniers in, in right. this year or Shane Wright next year, that that will change. But it is uh, you know the first time that we we're seeing that, and then obviously Simon Benoit. Making his NHL debut just has a you know an amazing story 
to, to his game and how he got to the NHL. But uh, if you listen to the broadcast, I think uh, if you had to drink every time they mentioned the fact that he was six foot three or that Quentin Byfield was six foot five, you'd uh, you'd probably be pretty hammered by the end of the night because I think I heard it about <laughs> ten times <laughs> that Simon Benoit was six foot three. Like this guy has an amazing story: undrafted, signed a PTO with the goals, signed an AHL deal. Finally, an NHL ELC now makes his NHL debut, and all the broadcast mentions is the fact that he's six foot three, one hundred ninety-five pounds. <laughs> I, it's bad, man. I like you know as as much as I can be guilty of that kind of stuff too at times. Just you know, just because I guess it's stupid though. Like you know, it's stupid when you say it out loud and you think about it, but you're like, true, right? It's like. I think it was Rachel Dory made the point of like, y- you have to write your prospect evaluations without uh, mentioning their handedness or their size. And it's like, yeah, like it's just, those are just such have become such ridiculously significant identifiers in what we kind of expect of players that it, it ends up pigeonholing guys. And to see someone like Byfield who has that size, but it also has that speed and that skill is just, it's, it's very exciting. And for Simone Benoit, you know, it's funny that he's six foot three and he ended up being undrafted. You think that alone would get him drafted? There's guys who are uh, clearly not as good as him who get drafted because they're six four. So, yeah, and I'm I'm guilty of that with Byfield too. But because like he's such a freak coming out of his draft year that he was like six four, two hundred and ten when he was drafted as a seventeen year old. So it's ridiculous, but it's just funny. You know, it, it's yeah. it's bound to happen. But you know, it wasn't the greatest of debuts for Benoit, but he still looks solid. Like he didn't make any, you know, obvious errors. I think he played around 14, 15 minutes tonight, was playing with Kevin Shattenkirk. They kind of gave him a lot of five on five time. I'm not sure if he logged that many minutes on the penalty kill or the power play. I'd have to double check. But pretty tame, calm debut from him. I'm not sure if he gets in for the next game. Or if this is kind of just we're going to hand you your, your debut and we'll we'll see what happens going forward because it's not like the Ducks have a ton of injuries on defense. I mean they took Andy Walensky out of the lineup to put to put Benoit in, so it's not like you're taking out a regular, you know, an NHL regular out of the lineup to make to play him. But when you look at the guys who are down there, you know, the fact that Benoit got a debut before Cody Curran is interesting. The fact that Josh Maher is still down there, and this is nothing against Benoit. He's played great. He had a great week in San Diego, but. It does kind of make you wonder, is you know, is he, is this just a look, just to give him a look, or is he going to play the rest of the season, especially with all those guys down there? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing to say is they did get somewhat of a look at Mahura this year, right? Mahura played what, like eleven or twelve games. Um, yeah, you know, so they, in whatever degree that they're trying people out, I think you can at least go, ah, you got 10 games. Like we have at least a decent idea of what that is at 10 games. Um, I do think it's interesting that they brought up uh, Benoit before they brought up Curran. Um, just kind of given, like you said, their, what Benoit's story is and being undrafted and then Curran, who was the MVP as a defenseman of the Swedish league last year. Um you know, so I just think that that's that's interesting. But you know, they waited a little while to bring Hawkenpaw up as well. So I don't know that anything can be read into it too much. It might just be Anaheim, by and large, giving European defensemen a chance to play on the smaller ice uh, at a lower level and a lower expectation than having to step right into it at the NHL level. So, but 
he looked okay. You know, I don't know that Shattenkirk's the easiest guy to play with. Like, uh, I think tonight more than anything for me, Shattenkirk looked like a forward. Uh, and I don't know that if it's your first game as a defenseman in the NHL that that's necessarily the easiest partnership to walk into. Um, but he didn't do anything that made me question why he was in the lineup. So, yeah, Jay Southern brings up a pretty decent point on on why he might have got his debut tonight is that. You know, he's a bigger, heavier-hitting guy, and we know how the Ducks love to kind of slot those guys into the lineup. Um, you know, Wilinski, they've utilized him more as kind of a shot-volume offensive defenseman, even though that's, I mean, it's not really his skill set, but that's more of what he's known for. Then you bring Benoit in, I guess, for what they expected to be a physical battle. It was surprisingly not as physical as we're used to seeing in, mm-hmm. a, in a Ducks-King rivalry, but... It's changed a lot, and you know, you look at that first period and the fact there was only ten faceoffs in the, in, in the beginning uh, in the beginning frame, and we went through that uh, that first period in, in a pretty quick amount of time. It, it's clear that you know the game and the style of play of both these teams is changing, which bodes well for the future of this rivalry. When we look, I mean, there's always going to be a physical as- and a nastiness kind of aspect to this rivalry, but when you look at the young players coming up, like. It's going to be a fun one to watch once both of these teams get back to you know being competitive teams in the Western Conference. Like it's it's going to be a nasty one, but it's going to be full of a lot of skill and a lot of speed. Yeah, it's it should be a blast. I I think you know, and like you said, there were guys that we didn't even see in the lineup tonight that are going to be a part of that going forward. Um, there's a lot to be excited about for the future. I think. Like you said, the lack of physicality tonight kind of showed. Uh, it's it's really surprising, I think, just for me, just because we do know that the Kings are still kind of trying to fight for that playoff spot. But Anaheim, you know, they literally have nothing. Like, you, this isn't even a year where they can just play for quote-unquote, like, just finish out respectfully or whatever, um, or respectably. But... Just finish above the Sabres, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> at this point, it's... I don't know. It's just kind of whatever. You know, this so, team's missing? Bill Kessel. Shit, dude. But no, I just think, <laughs> you know, they don't have a lot of energy right now. And I think it's hard for them to kind of muster that up because there isn't anything, you know, to play for. There's really not any pride on the line. Like, you are what you are at this point. You're one of the three worst teams in the league. So. Yeah. But we, we before we get to more of our post game stuff, we have to talk about the Kings second goal, Adrian Kempe's goal. Uh, more so not the goal itself, but John Gibson on that play. We've seen Gibby a few times, especially in the last couple of weeks where it just looks like he's, I don't want to say given up, but he's just, you know, taking, he, he just doesn't care anymore in some of these plays. I mean, it, it's easy to say that with how bad the ducks are and, and you know, how he's kind of left hung out to dry a lot of the times, but I don't know what he was thinking on that play. Like Cam had a good two or three feet on Kempe, and he just kind of slowed down. He was going to take the puck and probably circle behind the net or whatever and, and play it out. And all of a sudden, Gibson flies out of the net to try and play the puck. They uh, end up kind of colliding a bit, and Kempe ends up putting it in the back of the net. Obviously, it doesn't hurt the Ducks at the end of the day, and even if they lost because of that goal, it wouldn't really matter too much. But it just feels like Gibby is just out of it. He's checked out for the rest of the year. Dude, it, I have to be completely honest with you that like that 
that exact situation as it developed and having the defenseman coming back being Cam, like that perfectly happened in a way that like I was looking at that and I was like, God damn it, Cam. And all I was thinking about was blaming it on Cam and not on Gibson. And like, yeah, that was he shouldn't have been out there. But it does bother me that Cam didn't pick up his head and like look at him. But at the end of the day, you're on the power play and you know, you you have the advantage. So just let your guys come back, take it behind the net, break out again. Like it just it it was it was reckless and although it didn't cost the team in the end, I do think it was a very high risk, low reward proposition. I'm not sure that there was a significant advantage. You know, it's not like one of those things where you can see a breakout pass developing and they're just going for it. Like this didn't feel like that. This just felt like him making a decision to just come out and okay, fine. But this is what happens. So we've seen him do that before. Like you said, where he's tried to come out and play quickly and catch, you know, the, them on a bad change and a two on one or three on two to kind of push the power play forward. I mean, maybe that's what his thought process was there. Clearly cam had no idea what was going on in that play, but it's, it just kind of sums up the duck season and the season for Gibson on that play, you know, with only seven games remaining and some of the shit that he's been through this year that uh, we've started to see him kind of unhinge a little bit over the last little bit where he's just kind of made these plays where you're like, what are you doing, man? Like we need to get you into the off season and just let you have a, a little bit of a break here because he's been, he's been put through it this year for sure. Like it's gotta be tough. I can only imagine where, you know, a couple seasons ago, we're talking about John Gibson being in the Vezina discussion because he's just carried this team or kept them afloat. And then now the last two seasons specifically for him have just been so bad. And it's not even really his fault. It's just the team in front of him has been, yeah, you know, one of the bottom three teams in the league over the last two years. Like, it's impossible to be a netminder as good as you are. You could plug any, you know, top netminder in the league on this team and they're going to struggle and it's going to be tough. Like if anybody's been through it over the last two seasons is John Gibson. He's at the top of that list. Yeah. He's been the ducks best player for three years in a row. And it's, it's really, you know, unfortunate that right when he really kind of found his groove at the beginning of what would that be? The eighteen nineteen season. Yeah. Um, the team that was right when the you know the rest of the roster fell apart on him and the 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 roster hasn't been able to recover in front of him and he's kind of suffered from them but you know i just think it's been a really rough stretch and i do think there is a degree to which so much of us like a lot of us have just kind of decided to just let everything go with him like he can do no wrong like there's no reason to be mad at him because he's been put in an impossible situation for the last, you know, three years. So, yeah, he, he needs a break. He needs it to, I mean, he can't go on vacation because we're in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic, but he, he needs some, some home time to just put this season behind him and, and hope, hope for better things next year. But, uh, We'll talk about Sam Steele's goal here because this is, as everybody liked to point out, the first goal he scored with his stick in a long time. But it was a good one. I mean, he had a lot of time to pick the corner, uh, but you got to give him credit. He did it, and he sniped the top corner on Cal Peterson. It's nice to see Sam Steele 
get a normal goal and one that showcases his ability on the offensive side of the game, especially coming off of you know the discussion that Pat and Jay talked about on Monday's show where Dallas Akins was saying he wants him to be more of a matchup checking mm-hmm. center that can shut down the opposition. It's nice to see him get back to what I guess he was labeled as as a prospect of being not really a sniper, but more of an offensive minded player, a guy who puts the puck in the back of the net or setting up his teammates. And we know he has that ability. It's just now finding the consistency that's going to get him to being, you know, a potential 40 or 50 point player. Not to say this is, you know, going to kickstart that for the, the last six games of the season. But when we look at the progress of Terry and Jones and you know Zegers and Drysdale coming in this year and and really everybody else is kind of taking a step forward, come to off course. You know Sam Steele's the only one who's taken a step back, and he's only got a you know a handful of games to really not not prove that he's he's turned it around, but at least end the season on a high note. So this is a good start to doing that. I think he had a goal in the Vegas uh, the last game against Vegas, and now you know so he's got two goals in his last three games. A nice end to the season here would be would be a nice uh, nice finish for Sam Steele. Yeah, I don't know if it happened for anybody else, but I'm pretty sure, like on the Kings broadcast that I was watching, um, he paused so hard before shooting that the camera moved forward, just assuming he was going to rip it right away and had to pull back. And I think that for me was incredibly telling was how patient he was, and he did grab it and wait, and he didn't. You know, right. It's funny, I think, you know, sometimes where you talk about guys either rushing to get shots off or overthinking it and waiting too long. And, you know, it's always situational. And I think this was a perfect example of him having the situational awareness to know to give himself a second for the play to develop in front of him. And he just makes a great shot. And like you said, you know, he did come in with a little bit of, of offensive hype. Um, and so to see flashes of this level of play is nice. The question will be, is it going to be more consistent or is it just going to be flashes? You know, is this is something he's going to do five or six times a year and the rest of them are just going to be, you know, maybe three or four ugly goals. Uh, or is this something that, you know, you're looking at a guy who can potentially score 15 even strength goals a year. So. Yeah, I mean, even if they're ugly goals, so if he's putting the puck in the back of the net or, or getting on the score sheet, it still counts, right? Like, how many pretty goals has Maxim come to us scored this year? You know, a lot of them are tap-ins at the back post or being in the right position. So, you know, yeah, yeah it's nice but, to see him wire it, but as long as he's scoring, that's all that matters. I, yeah, I think that's fair, but I do also think that, like, you can look at the way that they play and – if Sam Steele changes his game and becomes a fundamentally like drive straight line player, the way Maxime Comtois is, then that's a different conversation. But at this point, he doesn't seem to be that guy. He seems to be a player who is going through a slump and is doing the simple things to try to get that going. But I think the play that we saw tonight is much more indicative of if he clicks, you know, at a, 15 to 20 goal level what you are going to see it's going to be things like this it's going to be him making plays it's going to be him being a a second option on a good line um you know and so uh, i think with maxime comtois you can see that those goals are with intention uh as opposed to those goals with sam Steele are just he was you know what i mean like it's not this it's just like a skate to the front of the net you're the first guy in whatever 
And I do think that's a little bit different. So I would say next year and the, you know, next year will be telling because if he scores, you know, five or six goals like that again next year or something like that, then yeah, maybe it is a thing where that's the way he's playing now, but I'm not counting on his ugly goals as being a sign of much. Yeah. As far as future production. Sorry. No, at the very least, like it's a, it's a better goal scoring season for Sam Steele this year. I think that goes under the radar a bit. He had six goals and sixteen assists in sixty five games last year. He's got six goals and six assists in thirty eight games this year. It's not quite up to the same point where he had six goals in twenty two games in his rookie season. If he scores one more by the end of this season, so in the final six games, it'll be a career high for him. I mean, seven isn't anything to yeah. to write home about, but it's it's yep. not a lost season, I think. And I've made it out to be a lost season, but I don't think it's as detrimental as I think we're making out to be at sometimes. I think, yeah, I think that's fair, right? But I think the question is, is what are you looking at for this year, right? Because if he was 25 and this team was contending, then yeah, you take the points however you get them and you deal with that in the offseason. But this is a team at the bottom of the standings who we are looking at as which guys are going to be part of this future. And so I do think that while it is good for him to be able to have those little milestones to point to, especially given how much he has struggled at times this year, um, I do think from an outside perspective, what we are looking at more is a little bit more of the process than the results. And are those is that process repeatable? You know, is this a thing that we're going to be able to rely on going forward? And if so, that's great. Um, and if not, well, then he's still got the goal and good for him. But I, it's just I think that's just one of those the way I'm looking at it thing, because you're 100 percent right. It's nice for him to get the goals. It's nice to get the win. Like, I, I'm not dismissing any of that. Yeah, I, I think the thing that's always going to go against Sam Steele, unfortunately, it, it, it's fairly similar to the Nick Ritchie situation is all the hype that was built up before he made it to the NHL. Because like, if we sat here and said, if Sam Steele became Adam Henrique, are you disappointed? I think most people, I think it'd be a 50, 50 split. I think most people would say, you know, probably not like that would be pretty good. And some people would say, yeah, it is disappointing based off what they thought he could be. And I think even if you took the same question and asked it about Isaac Lindstrom, I think the percentage would be a lot higher saying, yeah, that would be amazing if Isaac Lindstrom turned into Adam Henrique. But Mm. Isaac Lindstrom was drafted higher than Sam Steele was. He was drafted a few spots in front of Sam Steele. Sam Steele was drafted, I think, 30th overall, and Isaac Mm -hmm. Lindstrom was drafted late 20s. Yeah, 28th. Yeah, they're they're roughly around the same spot, but it's that – 131 point junior season that Sam Steele had where he won CHL player of the year and was that all his the hype draft got built up or is that his, his D plus one year yeah. yeah so right after his draft year so it's 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 almost the worst year yeah. to have that type of boon in production like he had 70 points in 72 games in his draft year that had 131 in 66 games with 50 goals yeah. in his D plus one year and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was snubbed for the World Juniors. He stayed on a, a Regina team that was stacked with a lot of the rest of the top WHL players going and playing in for Canada in the World Junior Championship. There's a lot of things that went into what was just an exceptional year for him. But that's always going to be a detriment to you know, when we're evaluating his potential and where he is in his game right now. Because, 
I think when if you you know that he should be kind of analyzed the same as Isaac Lindstrom in terms of where they could end up, but he'll always be thought of as a guy who could have done more, just based off the hype that was built up around him. But him becoming Adam Henrique is amazing. If he becomes that for the Ducks as a late first round pick to become, you know, a potential twenty goal, forty fifty point center in this league who's reliable in their own zone, that would be a huge win. I mean, that would be great for the Ducks to have a guy like that in his prime to go along with Zegris and Perot and Drysdale and Comtois and Terry and all those other guys. Yeah, it, it he is a victim of expectation. He's a victim of circumstance, and you know. He had that, like you said, he had that one great 131-point year, and he had he's kind of the opposite of Tracy, right? Braden Tracy popped the year before he was drafted or going into the draft, and then the next year he struggled. And so already as fans, we've kind of uh, you know moderated our expectations, and you've heard it from some of the people uh, who write and talk about prospects as far as, well, you know, maybe this isn't, uh, you know, uh, this is someone that we were hoping would kind of be farther along right now. And so now we have to wonder, is it just a slow development or whatever? You know, Sam Steele is someone that everybody was just kind of sitting on and waiting uh, because he was going to, you know, I th- I would say we talked ourselves into believing that he could be the guy that could keep the window open as opposed to Lundestrom, who was a guy that was taken at the end of the first round who could turn into an NHL player but might not because he's a little undersized and there's question about his offense and all that stuff. You know, I, I think you're dead on that in a lot of ways they are similar from like a skill set and from a size and thing like that. So uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think at this point, you know, like I asked it on Twitter the other day, as far as if Sam Steele became Andrew Cogliano, and for me, that's the one I think that makes the most sense as far as a projection because Cogliano was drafted as a center by Edmonton to be a number two center to provide some depth, and he ended up getting moved to the wing, and then he got traded to Anaheim, and it completely changed, I think, the trajectory of his career, and I think Sam Steele has a lot of similarities, maybe a little bit more offense than defense, um, but that's not a bad thing for Cogliano. So even if he turns into Andrew Cogliano, I think that's great, you know. But I, I get that a large portion of the fan base is going to be frustrated if that's all he becomes, quote unquote. Yeah, and, and as much as faceoff wins are overvalued, it's still not a bad thing to have a guy on the wing, just like Andrew Cogliano was, who could snap into the faceoff dot and, you know, 56 57 percent of the time when you would draw and is reliable and it's going to step in there he's not going to be you know a a typical winger who steps in and likely is going to lose the draw right so it it, it face-offs don't have a huge impact on the game but it is still nice to have that option as a winger you know a second winger on a penalty kill where you've got your main center who goes in, and then if he gets thrown out, you've got Sam Steele who could come in and, and still do the job and win a faceoff. And especially if it's in your defensive zone, and you're in a penalty kill, and you know in a playoff game or in a you know late in the, in the game, and an important draw, those are where you like to have those guys who could step in. So, I'd like to see him on the wing at some point. I think he eventually gets forced onto the wing whenever um, you know, we see Zegers obviously permanently at center now and. Isaac Lindstrom looks like he's going to stay at center once some of the other prospects kind of move in. And if the Ducks draft a center this year, I think eventually if Sam Steele is going to be a part of this organization, it's probably 
going to be on the wing. And, and I would love to see how his game translates to playing on the wing. I think he has a skill set that actually would do pretty well uh, where without you know the main defensive responsibilities he's tasked with right now. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's exactly what it is, right? Is you take a little bit of that defensive responsibility away, but you take someone who is capable defensively and it allows them to excel because they're not as, you know what I mean? They're not as crucial, so they can kind of improvise a little bit more and use uh, their skating and their uh, hockey IQ to kind of jump plays here and there. Um, But so I wanted to ask you this. If you had to say right now, which one do you think Sam Steele is more likely to become, Cogliano or Henrique? I, I would say probably Cogliano. I think it's somewhere eventually in the middle. And I don't know if it's with the Ducks. Just based off Aiken's comments, mm-hmm. I feel like they still think he's going to be a center. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they like you know, the, the defensive side of the game that he has and the fact that he wins draws and they value that still highly. You know, maybe they shouldn't put up as much importance on it as they do, but, you know, it's no secret that they value that and they like to have guys who can be out there and, and win 56% of their draws and why Getzlaff and Henrik and Sam Steele are usually the centers for the Ducks when everybody's fully healthy. Now, maybe that's changing with Trevor Zegers moving to the middle of the ice and, and we'll see how that goes, that is- but... I, I think it's I think it's eventually somewhere in the middle, but uh, if he's with the Ducks, I think he's going to be a center. So maybe if he wants to transition to the wing, and if that's eventually where you know his career takes off, similar to like you said with Andrew Cogliano when he moved from Edmonton to Anaheim, then maybe we see a bit more production from him, a bit more you know freedom for him to to flourish offensively, where he can't really do that as a centerman. I think I think. Honestly, if, if I had to, to sit here and say where do I think his best position is for him to really utilize his skill set, I think it's on the wing. Yeah, I agree. But we'll see. I mean, I, I can't I can't honestly see that being with Anaheim. That's it, It's sad to say. I just don't know where he gets in on the wing, right? Like when you look at the wingers the Ducks have already and the wingers they have coming up, I don't see him getting that opportunity. I mean, he's had it before, but now with all the other wingers that they have coming, I just I can't see him getting another shot on the wing. I think they're they are pretty dead set on him playing center if he's playing for the Ducks. Yeah, it's almost like the opposite of that, like you know that cliche that like you don't become CEO at the place you worked in the mailroom, right? Like they don't hire from the mailroom because they saw you at like your least interesting or appealing theoretically. Um, so if you go to an outside company, then what they're going to see is the candidate that you are and have become and yada, yada, yada. And then you go there and it's kind of the exact opposite with Sam Steele where it's like, no, he was a first round center that we drafted. And like, I, I, I do think that he could have a nice long career as a potential second, third line tweener winger. Uh, but I do think. I am afraid, like you're saying, of the idea of Anaheim never seeing him as anything more than a center and either dropping him down to the fourth or uh, moving on a little early. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, when he was coming up, I, you know, I never thought he would be a center and adapt well to the defensive side of the game, be a guy who wins faceoffs. And to his credit, he's proven me wrong, but maybe, maybe for the detriment of him actually succeeding in this Ducks lineup is that. 
you know, his, I, I would, I can't say for sure until we actually see him, you know, on the wing for a decent sample size of games, mm-hmm. but he just does have that skill set that you think would be better served as a winger where he can kind of do some more things offensively and be a bit more creative because he has the ability to do that. But when you've stuck him at center and he has a little more responsibility, he's not a Trevor Zegers where he'll do it no matter what. He's got game breaking ability on every play. He needs a bit more space and a bit more time to do those things where, where he can actually, you know, excel and he can only do that on the wing. He can't do that at center. So if, in, in, if you, you want him at center, then he's going to have to be that matchup checking center. That's the only way I think he succeeds as a center. And then that's likely as a third line kind of penalty killing center. Whereas mm-hmm. if he's on the wing, I think, like you said, he could be that middle six guy who can slide up and down the lineup as a second line winger or a third line winger and just contribute and, and be you know, that kind of potential 20 goal guy, 40 point guy on the wing. Yeah, I, you know, um, it, he's got a tough road ahead of him. I think, um, you know, I think there's going to need to be a lot of questions asked and answered about who, even out of the young ducks is going to be a part of this team going forward and for how long, you know, especially with the contracts for Henrik and Silverberg being what they are and, Raquel and Manson are a year away from UFA and Lindholm is two years away. Like they're going to have to be some decisions made very quickly about who is and isn't a part of this team. And I think either whether it's with Seattle or, uh, you know, a quote unquote hockey trade. Uh, I, I think there's a very good chance that by the end of next year, Sam Steele's in a different Jersey. If Sam Steele goes to Seattle and flourishes as a, in a William Carlson type move, so <laughs> puts up forty goals with the Seattle Kraken. I'm going to be upset. But isn't that almost perfect, right? If he goes there, he has the one crazy season like William Carlson had, and then he turns into a perfectly decent second line center. Yeah, because that's I mean, he what has William that Carlson is. William Carlson is not, you know, a fifty goal scorer like he was that first year. He's just not that guy. Now, it's dope as hell that he did it, and I'm not mad at him. Um, but, you know, like you said, the sample size is big enough now to say that was the outlier. So, you know, if Sam Steele goes and has one big pop in Seattle and then just is kind of fine for the rest of forever, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to hold any animosity for Seattle right off the jump. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and and I I think Sam Steele... His game is fairly similar to William Carlson. Not to say that he's going to go off and do the same thing, but if he was to go to a team mm-hmm. like Seattle and get a new start, I think I think there's potential for him to maybe not have that type of year, but a breakout year for sure. Um, one guy we got to talk about because it's the guy who's going to be here for a while is Cam Fowler, and apparently he only scores beautiful goals against the Kings now because yeah. his last two goals were fairly similar. This one was nicer than the last one, but he likes that kind of skate to the the top of the you know 
top of the opposition zone, cut in and toe drag, and then snipe one top corner. So I, I mean, it's this was weird. beautiful. But it's I, it's weird how a guy who should be playing wing does better below the dots offensively. I think that's interesting. Yeah, Athanasio is going to be watching that one back after this game because Cam Fowler put that right between his legs. <laughs> if you if you took the number off, I would be betting money that was Zegris who pulled that off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you to- oh, if you just said this is a thing that happens tonight, who does it? Yeah. No, you wouldn't guess Cam. You'd guess you'd guess Drysdale before you guess Cam. Yeah. Hell, I think I'd guess Troy Terry before I guessed Cam. But, you know, I, it, it was an incredible play. I don't know, you know, what you saw right there was the the promise that was made a decade ago with him, which is this dude who has incredible puck skills and is an insanely gifted skater uses both of those things to be an impactful uh, top four defenseman with, you know, the ability to score goals and things like that. And, like, that's what he was for a play. He was It's exactly what he was. It was beautiful. He made two great moves. He made them smoothly. He had a patience and confidence in, in it. But there are other times where he, you know, is supposed to be guarding the front of the net and he's over in the corner because he just got pushed all the way over there. I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's almost like it's, if he was making $2.3 million less, it wouldn't be a problem. We'd be sitting here saying, "Wow, Cam Fowler is a great player, and he's only making four million dollars." And you know, yeah, he has his his warts, but he's only making four million dollars, and then he can pull you, off plays like this. Let me tell you what his biggest issue is, and I'm not even being funny. It's that him and Cam, him and Josh Manson doesn't work as a pair. It's the dumbest thing in the world because on paper it's perfect, and every time they play together, they both look terrible. If that pairing worked, I don't think Cam Fowler's contract looks as bad. Because you have the perfect pair, right? You have that hard-nosed defenseman and that smooth-skating, freewheeling offensive guy. And But what you end up with more often than not is Cam Fowler on a line with someone who doesn't play defense or isn't very good. And so when he makes mistakes, they stand out. And he's put in a position to carry guys in a way that I don't think he's capable of. Um. But goddamn, that was a sweet play tonight. So you know, I it's just it's just so funny. Like I literally just made a joke about him, and then he does that. It's it's beautiful. So I don't I don't want to get into it because I feel like I could get into a two hour discussion about Cam Fowler here. But I gotta ask one question about it before I move on from him. Is it saying something that we have never found? like a right guy to play with Cam Fowler. Like there's never been a guy who would be like, oh yeah, like this is it. And they're, they're going to be together for a while. Like it's never happened for him. Is that him or is that the Ducks inability of actually putting a quality defender with him? I don't know because you know what I would, I, I, I honestly, I do think he was fine with Lovejoy, but I do think him and uh, Dispress would have been, a great pair and should have been a pair together and Dispress just got injured. So uh, I think, I think it very much speaks to his limitations and the way he has been misjudged by the organization. 
but I don't know that it's his fault. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it's his fault either. I mean, he ultimately doesn't get to pick who he plays with, and it's up to the organization to evaluate his skill set and go out and find the right guy to go and play with him. They just haven't done that. They have, you know, like you said, Lovejoy's worked, and somebody mentioned, I think, Boschman played with him and Dupre worked with him. Is at that times. how you say that, Dupre? Yes, I knew you were gonna you were gonna get grilled for that one. It's That's much, fine. That one's maybe care. worse than Drysdale. <laughs> I don't speak French Canadian. I don't give a shit. I just, I just didn't know how to say it. Dupree. Okay. Simone Dupree. Anyways, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's his fault. It's definitely on the organization that they haven't found the guy to play with him. But he, he has this ability, right, where he can mm-hmm. be the guy we thought he would be. It's just it doesn't happen all the time. Where. If he was kind of like in the future, like let's say it's Luke Hughes and Jamie Drysdale in the future, and if you had Cam and he was making two million dollars less and he was your second left, you know, your lefty on your team, it's not the worst guy to have. Like he has value when you have other guys who can do the other things that he can't. And if you put him with the right guy, which they haven't done much throughout Cam's career, he could be a really valuable guy. But the problem is he makes a ton of money. His contract is for like the next what four or five years and they routinely play him with whoever's left and he he how many partners does he have this year seven eight <laughs> I, I think he's played with everybody but Getzloff. yeah uh, uh, he's played with john kirk he's now played with larson he's played with Wilinski. i think like Mahura. yeah I, maybe the only guy is jamie drysdale that he hasn't played with uh, and i guess hampus lindholm yeah so, yeah, we, honestly, we might just have to do a whole deep dive into Cam because, yeah, I can talk about this for two hours because I, I have so many thoughts and questions about him. Yeah, um, we, we, we can't we can't stick it on for long. But uh, one guy we do have to talk about because I know you wanted to, to talk about is another Ducks defenseman is Josh Mahura. And uh, I, I, I mean, I'll just kind of turn it over to you here in, in terms of kind of <laughs> what spurred. We've talked about him in a, in a bunch of different ways this year, but what what specifically did you want to get into with Josh here? I, uh, so I have noticed that people are very scared of losing Josh Mahura in the upcoming expansion draft, and people are very scared of him pulling exactly the same shit that Shea Theodore is, right, which is where he ends up on this expansion team. He's given a a bigger role, bigger minutes, and he turns into this, you know, Norris Buzz earning number one defenseman. And like, yeah, man, that would suck because, you know, they drafted both of those guys. But I want to know how high, like, is that legitimately what everybody thinks his ceiling is? Because I don't know that Mahura ends up even being better on an impact level than Cam Fowler, who I shit on on a regular basis. Yeah, I, and I, I, I think if go, you go, go. if you remove the whole Shea Theodore situation, we're not having this discussion. But it's like PTSD to oh, we lost this young left-handed defenseman drafted from the WHL to an expansion team and he's gone off and blown up and oh we could do it again we could lose another young left-handed defenseman 
who's looked pretty good, who's looked good in the AHL, for nothing, he's going to go to expansion team. Oh, it's going to be the same thing. Like, can he be as good as Shea Theodore? I mean, we don't know. Maybe. No. Like, it's a long shot for sure. Uh, but we just don't know what he is. Like, when he's played in the NHL, he's looked good. But for Shea Theodore, the difference Has, was, like, he so, was he couldn't send him down, right? Like, when Shea was on his game, he got into a very competitive Ducks blue line and stuck around. There's something to be said. As much as I love Josh Mahura, the fact that, and I don't know what's going into it, you know, whether it's they don't want to show him off or whatever, the fact that he hasn't gotten into a lineup that's had Andy Belinsky, that's now had Simon Benoit make his NHL debut, that's had Jakob Larson all year, it, it says something about what the organization feels they have in Josh Mahura and what they felt they had in Shea Theodore. And so that's my thing, right? Because you said, and, and I'm, I'm not like attacking you, but like you, you know, you made the comment, you're like, Mahura has looked good. I don't know that he's looked good. I think he's looked fine. And I think that there is a difference. If he came, Jamie Drysdale, for everybody, so they don't yell at me, Jamie Drysdale walked in and looked good. Mahura has at times looked like someone who's not ready to play in the NHL and at other times has looked like a guy who is capable of playing in the NHL. Again, the same thing with Theodore. And, you know, Christo mentioned it in the chat. Like, Theodore looked good when he came to the NHL. He at times did not look ready, but that's a different thing. You could see that he was a step above players like Larson or Mahura or any of these guys. And so I I just think, you know, like I've made fun of Ducks fans for it, for it before, but like I do think they managed to turn everything into a referendum on the Shea Theodore trade. And it's like at a certain point, we like have to move on. Like as as a group, we need to eat our ice cream, watch our movies, cry all day, and move on. It's really bad. Because if, you know, like I don't think losing Josh Mahura is in any way the worst outcome at the expansion draft. I think it's unfortunate but I don't think it's the worst. And I think the fact that they traded for Hayden Flurry, to your point, does say that I think they think there are limitations on what Mahura can be at the NHL level. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would agree. I think when you, you know, I think he's looked good in the sense that you have to compare him to who he's looking good to, right? He's looking good in comparison to Jacob Larson and Andy Belinsky. And Kevin Shattenkirk, right? Where, as Shea Theodore came in and was looking good in a Ducks blue line, that was considered one of the best young mm-hmm. blue lines in the entire National Hockey League. And he looked good. Now, I will defend the fact that there are several parallels to the development of Josh Mahara and Shea Theodore. Shea Theodore didn't, he, I don't want to say he dominated the AHL when he first got there slowly adjusted, you know, was about half a point per game in his first couple seasons, slowly got up to it, and then he was a point per game, and then he started making his his chances in the NHL, had a season where he played like 19 games, which is fairly similar to when uh, Josh played 17. I think mm-hmm. Shea had nine points, Josh had five, and then 
Now Maher is back down in the AHL. He's almost at a point per game. Shea Theodore went down, was around the same thing. And then Shea got moved to Vegas in the expansion draft. And then, you know, his first season in Vegas wasn't that great. I think he had 30 points in 69 games and then slowly picked it up. And now he's almost a point per game this year. So there are some parallels. So I can understand the concern. But Josh Maher is not Shea Theodore. And right. he's not, and, and not saying like, it's obvious he's not Shea Theodore now, but he's not Shea Theodore at the same point in their development. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's not where Shea Theodore was at when Shea Theodore was 20, 22 years old in the Ducks organization. He's just not at that point. And I believe Shea was also getting it done as a 20 and 21 year old with the Ducks, whereas Josh has kind of had three stints now with the Ducks and it's been kind of the same, you know, Four points in eleven games, three points in eleven games this year, five and seventeen. He's come in, he's done a job, he's looked good. But defensively he hasn't gotten it done. And sometimes he's just kind of not looked engaged in the play. So I I mean like I would still hate to lose him for nothing. Mm-hmm. But it's not so, the end of the world if we do. It's not the same situation. Well, never mind. We'll have this conversation another time. We have to, well, we're going to have an expansion draft show. That's yeah, I, I, it's just, uh, yeah, no, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I don't want Maher to go, um, but there are only so many spots. And I think, you know, you can speak to this. The team is in a, in a pretty good spot uh, in the pipeline right now as far as having guys who can be potentially capable, you know, middle pair NHL defensemen, um, you know of both hands, frankly, or even I think there's a couple of lefties that play on their off wing anyways. So I just think it's not the worst outcome to lose Mahara. And I do think a lot of people are confusing, like you said, what are similarities in some of the context to being the exact same situation. And it's just not. Yeah, the teams yeah. are in a complete like Anaheim is in a completely different place now they were, than they were then. Like that's the other thing to remember. the The issue is that he didn't quite fit what they thought their timeline was, and so they were like, "All right, we're going to move him, keep our guys, and we're going to have this core for the next." And then that just didn't happen, and some of that core didn't develop the way they wanted it to. That's all stuff that is certainly worth pointing out and holding the organization accountable to. But that's not the case right now. Um, You know, I don't think any of these defensemen that aren't named Jamie uh, are indispensable. As much as I love Hampus Lindholm, I do think you could put an offer in front of me that I would say yes to. Um, You know, I just don't think the context is the, the situation is so similar that Anaheim is going to end up making a, a move that they regret um, yeah. as much as people seem to think. Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, the Ducks have some good young defensemen on the way who projection-wise are similar to what Josh Mahura could become at his best when you look at Jackson Lacombe. Good year this year, improved, looked great. Henry Thrun, great year this year, did you know improved on his game, looked great. Ian Moore, same thing. And if the Ducks draft Luke Hughes or Simon Edmondson or Brant Clark, we won't even be talking about, even if Josh Maher goes, we won't even be talking about losing Josh Maher because now they've brought in 
you know, a, a, a top end defenseman to go along with Jamie Drysdale. So, and like Chris Chris said in the chat, if you know losing Mahara means we save a good young forward from getting selected, it is what it is. And you brought in Hayden Flurry, which ultimately could replace what Josh Mahara brings. And Hayden Flurry is playing in the NHL. He's playing right now. And Josh Mahara is in the AHL. So it, it, it is what it is if they select him. I I think Seattle will go somewhere else. I think they'll take somebody who they think is a bit more NHL ready. But it all depends, I think, on who else they select from other teams. And if they feel like they want a good young NHL defenseman who could crack the lineup, maybe Mahara goes. But it's not uh, it's not the end of the world at, at, uh, at the end of the day. But somehow we got through this entire show and we didn't really touch a lot on Trevor Zegers' return to the lineup. Like, that was supposed to be the headliner of this show. Um, so I feel like we, we should spend at least five minutes before we get to the final topic of the show here just slightly touching on Trevor Zegers' return to the lineup in his, his first NHL game at center because he didn't look out of place. He looked exactly the same when he was up before. The defensive side of the game didn't look like it was a burden to him. He was you know, hard on the forecheck. He got back quickly to his own end he looked great and when you look at the numbers tonight he was the Ducks most dangerous forward when it comes to expected goals for percentage the Ducks best line was Terry Segris and Comtois this is I mean other than him putting up a point or scoring a goal like this is all you could ask for for his return to the lineup and it's coming off of just exceptional play in San Diego where he had 12 points in nine games so it's nothing you know, we're not shocked. We all knew when Zegers came back, he was going to look good because he looked good when he got sent back down. You know, he, he as much as they want to say this is transition to center, and maybe part of that's true. A lot of it was to make sure he didn't lose that extra year off his unrestricted free agent status, and it would be eight years instead of seven years. So it's not it's no surprise that he comes back in and looks great. Yeah, no, I think you know when he got sent down, everybody kind of understood that it wasn't a necessary it wasn't a move that was clearly needed it was a decision the organization was making right and like that's fine like i get that i don't think he needed to go down um but they did it i i get why they did it and i don't necessarily have a problem with it i do think you could make the argument that he has shown enough skill that it was worth just giving him his shot but again i don't think you did anybody any harm uh, by taking off, you know, what is it, two or three weeks and being like, yeah, just go play in Irvine for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, he looked fine. He looked good. He, you know, I think a little bit early there were times where he looked a little bit um, out of place as far as kind of running around chasing the puck in his own end. But overall, he was fine and he was being creative and impactful and he was using his skating and his stick handling and you know, just trying to create. That's what he's going to be doing. Um, yeah, it's going to it's going to take some time to just get adjusted to the NHL game again, right? He's been down in the AHL for nine games, and in a lot of those games, he looked bored. Like he just was casually going about his business in the American Hockey League and torching it at the same time. So getting back up to speed is going to take a couple of games for him. And the fact that he looked so good in his first game back just bodes well for the last six games of the season here. And, and I hope they, like we said earlier, I hope they keep this line together. I think eventually the points are going to come for these guys. And 
what you know what a great way to end what is a disappointing season than to have your top prospect look great mm-hmm. and hopefully put some points on the board right and and that's all we could really ask for i mean jimmy drysdale looked excellent had a great game today trevor zegers had a great game you know watching them for the last six games here and you know end the season on the high and, and pushing it next year i think is, is all we can really ask for yeah no exactly at this point it's all just about the the little things that are going to get us into uh, draft season and the off season and you know seeing what all, all what comes of all of that um so you know at this point it really is just looking at trevor zegers and seeing what he can do and hoping you know he puts up some he does something stupid wild in uh in the last handful of games and we get lucky and get something to be excited about but now we need to see he's uh, going to be in NHL goal. center yeah he's going to be in <laughs> nhl center and at this point you know it looks like he is certainly more than capable of becoming a number one center in the NHL. So, Don't you know, he has to get though. there. He has to get there, but it does look like uh, he's got a good shot. I know Pat's listening to this right now, and he uh, still thinks Trevor Zegers is a middle six center in the NHL, or a middle six winger, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, before we wrap here, you started a, a movement today, whether you wanted to or not of uh, Phil Kessel coming to the Anaheim Ducks um, for Adam Henrique and a third-round pick, I think, is the trade you, you picked. Yep. But the return is meaningless in this deal. Oh, maybe not, but why Phil Kessel? What? Where did this come from? So, like, I was just kicking dumb stuff around, and I was just, like, trying to, like, you know, especially late in the year, one of the things I like, because... I'm a loser, guys. It is what it is. It's like, I'll look at, like, the draft lottery and, like, look at teams, you know, 10 through 20 and try to see who's in that range, you know, that Anaheim could be targeting to look to for things. And all of a sudden, I went and looked at the Arizona cap friendly, and I was like, damn, Phil Kessel only has one more year left, and he makes six eight. And I was like, they don't really have a center. <laughs> like they don't even have Derek Steppen anymore at this point. And I was like, ah, maybe they could use that. And like Phil Kessel's cool, man. Like he's awesome. He's unintentionally funny. And I, for me, the other thing is, is he perfectly fits with what this team needs, which is a small shot in the arm that lifts the goal scoring ability of the team to a point where you can see them being more competitive. But there's nothing about this that is a commitment to the future that puts the team at risk. More more likely than not, what in this scenario, what happens is they trade for him, they play him, he plays 30 games, they have a conversation. Do you want to stick around or do you want to go to free agency? He says what he says, they figure it out. They tr- either... He signs the extension and everybody's happy and then everybody freaks out. But more likely than not, they get to the trade deadline and they move him. They get a decent pick maybe and he goes on and he plays in the playoffs and he does whatever he does. And then you know what happens? We don't have Adam Henrique on the cap anymore, which is awesome because even if Sam Steele becomes a winger, Anaheim is still going to have the opportunity to, one, draft more guys, but two, sign guys or make trades. Adam Henrique 
doesn't give the team anything in the short term that it needs and it doesn't cost anything in the long term that you want. So I just feel like moving on from Adam Henrique is a great idea. And I like Phil Kessel. He scores goals and he doesn't miss games. And I think those are, I mean, honestly, like the two biggest things that Anaheim, that hurts Anaheim on a regular basis is they can't score goals and they're never healthy. So, yeah, I'll take the chubby American who's super fast and scores goals. Like I don't know like about blast. super fast anymore, but he did score tonight for Arizona. And you know what? When you first brought this up in our group chat earlier, I said, like, what are you thinking? Like, this is stupid. I will admit I have sat down and thought about it a little bit more. And looking at the fact he has 18 goals on the Arizona Coyotes this year, I, I can't argue that he wouldn't also have 18 or more on the Ducks. Right, like I don't see how the Arizona Coyotes are that much more skilled. That the Ducks don't have players that can get him the puck, and he could be the main guy on the power play. I, th- I think he would still have 18 or or more with Anaheim in the same amount of games played this year. And yeah, you know, you're replacing Adam Henrique who has 11, but the Ducks' top goal scorer is come when he only has 13. The Ducks mm-hmm. only have two players who have scored more than 10. Bringing in a guy like Phil Kessel as much as it is just for fun for now and to add a little bit more goals to a bad team. It, it you know, if it costs a third round pick to get out of a last year of a, a bad contract, and then you can potentially move Phil Kessel at, you know, 50% retained. He's only making, you know, three closer to the deadline. That's likely two as a cap hit. And if he, you know, scores 10, 12 goals in 30 games heading up to the deadline or more, pretty valuable asset to move and you know his history as a stanley cup winner is gonna do well uh, for as the, the uh, rightful <laughs> winner of a con Smythe that was taken from him but sure we'll go with that for now he's he's gonna be popular among some of the old school gms for his leadership and his uh his history as he a, might be the one guy that won't get the benefit of the doubt there hilariously he enough he might but yeah. the other thing i think that's also worth mentioning is is i I don't know that it's the worst idea in the world to bring in a veteran goal scorer, a guy who has consistently scored 20 goals in this league, to bring him in to put one, have around Zegris, and give Zegris a guy who could put the puck away for sure, but also like Jacob Perot, Braden Tracy, Maxime Comtois, Sam Calandro. You have these young guys who you're hoping can be productive goal scoring forwards bringing again a guy like phil who has been there done that has gone through the ups and downs he's played on bad teams he's played in the playoffs he's won a cup having him around to help provide that mentorship for these young goal scorers and help them kind of deal with the emotional and mental parts of being a goal scorer i think that has a lot of value and to be honest if he comes back on a cheap contract like who doesn't want phil kessel around forever I could like it's just it's such a nice and funny thought to think of Trevor Zegers' first full career or first full season in his NHL career would be playing with Phil Kessel on his wing. (laughs) Priceless. No bullshit. Let are you telling me right now that if I told you it was they gave up Sam Steele and a third in that trade? Phil Kessel wins the Rocket Richard as a duck next year. 
it's a hundred worth it. It's worth it a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah, I mean, that would mean he'd have to somehow outscore Austin Matthews, so he's like to score fifty or sixty goals, which I don't think is happening. Wait, who, who did you just say? Austin Matthews. He's American, right? Is it weird that the two best goal scorers in the in okay. the history of the world are American? <laughs> I think that's weird. Anyways, I'm sorry. We're, we're going off the rails with Phil here, but I mean, like ultimately, if if it was. Henrik and you do a sweetener because Henrik has an extra year on his contract to get out from that extra year and it brings in Phil I would argue Phil fits better for the Ducks than Henrik does at this point in time especially if you think Sam Steele or if the organization thinks Sam Steele is still going to be a center you don't really need Adam Henrik he's been playing on the wing why not go get an actual winger and one who can score because the Ducks don't really have many of them they don't you know, Phil's age and whatever his history is kind of irrelevant to that situation. I think the Ducks' main focus in free agency this year is to go is likely to go out and get a veteran winger who can score. Like that's gonna be one of the things I think they actually bring in. Why not get out from a bad contract? You know, you're bringing in another one that's a bit shorter and you you get no, that no, 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 no. It's, bring that it's one in. Two years shorter. Phil Kessel's a UFA next summer. Mm-hmm. After this year, Henrik still has three more years. How much older is Phil than? He's thirty-three, so he's uh, about years. three years older. Two, two, three okay. years older. Yeah. So I mean, you, I think you can get away with just a third, just to get out from under two years. Yeah. Phil I, will be thirty-four by the time next season begins. Yeah, I think the thing here, right, is you have to ask yourself, like, what is the best fit for Adam Henrik? The best fit for Adam Henrique is a team that he can come in and be a role-filling centerman. So you need a team that's kind of in a contending place. The problem with Arizona there is they're not. They suck. But they also don't have anything else. And if you give them a pick, I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure they'll do just about anything right now. Um so I just think, you know, it, Adam Henrique goes to a team where he can be be useful and fill a role that is a little bit better. You know, I think Minnesota is a great place for Henrique, but they don't have Phil Kessel. So Arizona it is. Uh, it's crazy how we're two years removed from Phil Kessel having 82 points in 82 games and three years removed from him having 34 goals and 92 points. I know it was with the Penguins and he's playing with Evgeny Malkin, but still. But, no, but still, uh, you're on his hockey reference? Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the fact He's he had one point away from 97 goals. He had 37 goals in Toronto under Randy Carlisle on a team that the two best centers were Tyler Bozak and like a 23-year-old Nazem Kadri. This dude does not get the credit he deserves as a legitimate goal scorer. And it's because he's a walking meme. And I get it, it's very funny, but he's a legit like again, he has not missed a game in 10 years. And he has scored 20 goals in every season but his first year and last year, which got cut short. He'll finish um, this season. He'll pass 900 points. He's one away after his goal tonight. He's at 899. He'll finish his career with over 400 goals. He might get to 1,000 points. That's maybe a bit of a stretch. But he, if he plays four, through, you know, two or three more seasons, he'll hit it. Yeah. You know, he can get 100 points and in three seasons. Um, yeah, he doesn't get enough credit, I think, 
when we look at other guys who just hit a thousand or are getting close to a thousand, you know, Getzlaff, right? Like mm-hmm. Getzlaff, Kopitar, Corey Backstrom. Perry, Backstrom. Like Phil's production is up there with those guys, but yeah, he's a meme, right? Like he mm-hmm. does not look like he plays hockey. <laughs> he looks like you know he's overweight and and he's not an athlete. But I mean, his the numbers. He looks don't like lie. a beer league goalie. Just say it. He looks like a beer league goalie. He looks like a beer league goalie who has like a 1993 Toyota pickup truck, and they always have beer in the back. And God bless him for that. I love it because I grew up around those guys, and those guys are funny. He looks like like a a pitcher. Who's probably like you know thirty eight, thirty nine, put on the pounds, and he comes in for like you know relief in one or two innings, and gives up uh, gives up like seven runs. He kind of looks like that guy. He's just kind of sticking around the dugout right now because he's got you know some experience to him. Like that's that's kind of what he looks like. But I mean, my God, he's got thirty eight points in fifty games this year. Phil like, Kessel, it's not bad. Phil Kessel looks like a guy who's worked at a gas station for five years. D.B. Lowry said the NHL's Bartolo Cologne. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Oh, uh, we could talk about Phil forever, but I mean, I hope we've at least convinced you that uh, Phil Kessel coming to Anaheim isn't the worst thing in the world. That's my thing, right? One, it's a fun and silly idea, but two, like, what the hell else do you people have to do right now? Like, have some fun. Think about how interesting we could be next year with Phil Kessel on the team. We need some sort of excitement, and if it means Phil playing with Trevor Zegras and them just yeah. clicking at an unbelievable level, it would just be amazing. It would just be great. Even even if the Ducks, the Ducks are going to be bad next year, like let's not, let's oh, yeah, not no. kid ourselves. Like bad. Phil's not coming in and you know leading us to the promised land, but <laughs> Phil Kessel <laughs> scoring twenty five goals on Trevor Zegras's wing would be would be fun to watch. Like, it would be a fun story to cover. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Which would be funnier? Let's say that Phil Kessel comes in this summer in that trade, the Henrik trade. Getzloff comes back for one more year. Phil Kessel puts up 50 goals playing with a rejuvenated Getzloff. And Getzloff wins the heart because they won't give it to Phil. And so Getzloff wins his only heart playing with Phil Kessel. Or Getzloff retires and Phil scores 50 goals and Phil wins the heart. Which one is funnier? I I think Phil just winning the heart is hilarious. In any instance, it's it's just amazing. I need this so bad. Just making Pierre it Bob impossible for them not for to Phil give it to him. Like the Ducks squeak into the playoffs and Phil has like 50, 50 plus 30, has 80 points. It's, it's like the Taylor Hall season. Yeah. I mean, but so you know, McDavid will have 140 years. points, but the fact that that Kessel scored 50 and got the Ducks to the playoffs gets in the heart. Uh, that's awesome. Let's do it. God, I can just imagine the 34-year-old Phil Kessel walking up to the Vegas award show. And holding the heart trophy <laughs> while McDavid and Matthews watch from the crowd. <laughs> oh, God, that would rock. As that as they walk so... off with the Art Ross and the Maurice Rocket Richard trophy. Dude, I mean, he would look Matthews like still a... scores 55 goals, but Kessel gets the heart. <laughs> he would look like if that happened in Vegas, he would look like a street magician who just wandered in off stage and on stage. <laughs> Incredible. He's a busker off the street. That's 
<laughs> That's what we should do for a for a Bucks and Brews is just do Phil Kessel looks like for an hour and a half. He's got a heart. Yeah, DB obviously he's got a heart in one hand and a hot dog in the other. <laughs> <laughs> Walks up on stage with just a big mustard stain on his shirt. <laughs> no, dude, he he fucking he fucking pulls up to the the NHL awards in the Oscar Mayer wiener truck. <laughs> <laughs> Just right on stage. <laughs> he hops up the back and a bunch of hot dogs spill at the back of the truck. Oh, exactly. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap this up because Pat's an old man screaming at us right now that he has to go to bed. So, <laughs> Shut up, old man. Uh, but we, if you guys did not see the draft preview show that Stephen and I recorded with Josh Bell, make sure you check that out. It's the only look we're going to get at the draft until probably middle of June, right? You know, a week or two out from the draft and we'll kind of revisit that and and look at, uh, you know, some of the updated standings with some of the tournaments and everything going on. So if, uh, if you're wondering, I know we have these questions kind of come up almost every show, every day on Twitter, like who's the top guys in this draft, who's the guy the Ducks could, could look at. That is a evergreen show that you can go back to until we record another that, you know, Josh goes into, I think, what was like the top eight guys in yeah. this draft. We kind of broke down all of them, how they could fit with Anaheim, what their skill set is. Um, so it's, it's a great show. And Josh knows a, a ton more than both of us combined about these guys. And he's been watching <laughs> them all year long. So make sure, uh, if, you know, if you're looking for not only a show about the draft, but a, you know, with a Ducks focus on who they could get and, and how they could fit with the team, make sure you go check that one out because it's a good one. And... Um, also, we have a Pucks and Brews for any of our Patreon guys. That's coming up hopefully this weekend. If not, uh, we're going to push that out in early May. And if you're new to the show or, or new to, to kind of listening to us, uh, Pucks and Brews is our kind of flagship show on Patreon, uh, which is our kind of subscription service. We've got a bunch of people over there who like to support the show, and we we give them bonus content, maybe not as often as we should, but, <laughs> but uh, whenever whenever we get the time to get it out, it's always a ton of fun. Um, the guys make fun of me as they did last show for apparently not drinking anything or complaining about drinking uh, any alcohol. So it's always uh, it's always a good one. But uh, that will do it for today. What next game is Saturday? So Friday, Saturday, back to back. Yeah. So not sure if we're going to have a show uh, on Saturday. The last couple Saturdays, we haven't uh, been able to schedule a show. So we'll keep you guys posted on Twitter. Uh, but if not, then we'll see you uh, after the king series for uh, the blues games and the wild game to wrap up the season thanks for everybody who came out live and we'll talk to you guys later take care Bye, guys everybody